It's Easter. I wish I could just end it there. <laughs> Unfortunately, I cannot. Or at least I would feel bad about it. Um, it's a really nice day, which is surprising because I looked up the weather and it was supposed to be raining. Uh, and I take it as a sign of the risen God that the weather has changed for us. I, when I was in high school, even in, the, in my most zealous Christian state, I remember we were doing like a car wash for a church or something and it was supposed to rain and it didn't. And someone was praying and they're like, God, thank you for changing the weather for us. And I was like, that's so stupid. <laughs> but maybe it happens sometimes. I don't know. Um, I want us to kind of go back to the, to the beginning as we start thinking about Easter and what it might mean. To go uh, far back, farther back than you would say when you say back in the day, farther back uh, before time, farther back before things, back when we were told there was nothing but darkness. Uh, back to ex nihilo, which means out of nothing in Latin. Uh, the creation myth of Genesis tells us that God spoke and out of this nothing came forth light and water and land and all the stuff and all the things in the world. And God spoke into being creation and out of nothing came something. What God might have said, what it might have sounded like, what language it was in, I, I don't know, but the idea is that God proclaimed life and it became so. Prior to this passage we read, uh, when Jesus was, of Nazareth was executed, uh, he had been handed over to the enemies by his friends. He was convicted in a, in a farce of a trial, if you ask me having cried out to God on the cross in a moment of abandonment, laid in a tomb, uh, those who had devoted their lives to his teachings, who had dedicated themselves to following this guy around, literally following this dude around uh, for years, found themselves with nothing but grieving, mourning, weeping. I think it's hard for us to imagine being in that place today. A few of us sort of live with that kind of investment in something so crazy as the idea of a messiah People who follow Bernie Sanders are probably the closest we have to that today. To take a risk, right? To take a risk in a belief uh, to such a degree that when that belief is killed, when it's murdered, um, you can be reduced to nothing. This nothingness of pre-creation that I'm talking about laid on top of the nothingness of death. Could God do it again? Could God speak these words, these words of new life, the ones that proclaim and bring forth light and water and all the stuff in the world, the words that could maybe bring one back from the dead. There's an old Easter tradition in the church um, from I don't know where, where a minister or a liturgist or a person in charge says to the people, Christ is risen, and the congregation answers, He is risen indeed. I'm going to change that to Christ is risen indeed. So can we try that? I'm going to say Christ is risen. Y'all say Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Out of nothing comes something. Um, again, spoken into being, altering the very nature of reality. Words from God, words from us, the power of that proclamation to change things. When we speak it, Christ is risen, it becomes true in some way. When we shout it out, out of conviction, out of necessity, Christ is risen, it is made real. When we have nothing left to say, but to say the most absurd thing, which we scream into the void of nothingness, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Made true, made real in our belief and the power of that belief to hold itself within itself.
Now, the proclamation of resurrection of this Easter moment is not, of course, just for today or right now. It's not just for all the churches around the world saying these same things similarly. Um, and this proclamation of resurrection is also not relegated to that moment where Mary sees this strange man in the garden. She's sitting there. She's mourning. She's weeping. She's so caught up in her grief that when, two, when she sees two angels talking to her, she doesn't like flip out because every other example in the Bible, when you, people see angels, they like get really scared and maybe piss themselves. I don't know. But she, uh, she doesn't even react. It's so normal for her because she's so consumed by this grief she has. Someone asks her, what's the matter? The gardener, she thinks. This man is hidden from her, shrouded by her nothingness. Though he stands right before her until the moment that he speaks her name, Mary, and she looks up, and from nothing he is standing there arisen. I think that the reality of resurrection is often hidden from us, hidden from us in almost every moment. It's like as if it ducks behind a tree whenever we look for it, as it was for Mary in that garden. Faith, you know, if you ask me, is a very solid ground to have for those who actually can have it. But faith is never one in a moment forever. It's one in every moment. Risen today, dead tomorrow. I want to read a quick quote from one who I have quoted many times and will continue to quote forever. Not Kierkegaard, if you thought that was. But Christian Wyman instead. This is what he wrote. Reality wavers. The image fades like a reflection on the water. For under every assertion about God, including the one I am making at this very moment, regarding the fact of Christ's resurrection, the ground gives way. And once again, I am left with the vital and futile truth that to live is to live like the Jesus lizard, quick and nimble on the water into which a moment's pause would make it sink. You guys all know what the Jesus lizard is, right? Runs on the water, yes. In uh, a moment's pause would make it sink. So that we don't sink, we run quickly, nimbly. But is that actually a comforting thing to think about, right? Is there not rest for us so that we may not sink? Perhaps by this point, you think that I may be trying to be uh, somewhat quick and nimble in what I'm saying, that I'm dodging some sort of question. The idea that our proclamation of the risen Christ makes it true can be seen as a diversion in some way, right? Atheism described as theism, a sort of self-centered, anthropomorphic thought wrapped up in a clever trick to avoid the true question that everything hinges on. The anxiety that I think we all have at some time, at some moment, that hones in on the state of the body itself, dead or undead. Do you, do I, do we think that the question is whether or not the body stay laying in the tomb or got up and walked around? Did the cell disillusion reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, as John Updike said famously in his poem, Easter, that Neil actually used last year? Is that the question? The answer we're given seems to make it so in a very basic level, right? The answer, Christ is risen. The question, is Christ dead? No, Christ is risen. The question, is the body in the tomb? No, Christ is risen. And yet I have to ask whether or not 
those are actually our questions. If they're truly the questions that make this pronouncement of a living God an answer that matters to us. On a very basic level of communication, um, if you like think about language use, we find that question and answers have a very funny relationship. They're not as straightforward as we think. So if you ask someone something very simple, right? How's the weather today? And they say to you, the weather is very nice. Uh, there's an underlying assumption regarding the way those two things fit. There's an agreed upon idea of what nice might be, perhaps being warm or sunny. Um, ask the question in Antarctica, if you're living there, and that might have a completely different connotation, right? Or the question itself may change. On a more perhaps serious and complicated example, if you ask to somebody, if you ask somebody, do you love me? And they answer, yes, as if that satisfies anything. Or one might answer, I did your laundry, uh, which may come to mean so much more than another person's yes. <laughs> to be more clear, it might make sense for us to phrase a question like that differently, right? Do you care about me in such a way that if you were without me, you would rather starve to death than live without me? See, that's my definition of love and why I remain single. Uh, <laughs> then someone might say yes, right? Or you could ask, how can I know that you love me? And the person says, I did your laundry, right? Clarifying ways of thinking about questions and answers. The point here is, is that our understanding of truth has to do with this relationship between question and answers. The proper question with the proper answer, or vice versa. If Christ is risen, is the answer to the question, if they, let me say that again, if Christ is risen, is the answer to the question, uh, is Christ dead? Is that the question? If that is the question, I think we've missed something. In the presence of nothingness, going back to this idea of nothingness, in the story of those who have lost all hope of a God who uh, speaks into the world in a void and makes things new, I think that the question of the body is the wrong question. The question for me is whether or not I can hear my name being called. Think of Mary in that garden. The question for me is whether or not I can hear my name being called. To ask if the body lay there or not, I think is like asking what the frequency of sound is or sound waves are when a name is being uttered. As soon as I ask this type of question, the material question of vibrations or what sound is, I miss the significance of my name as it's being called by one who knows me. Asking about the body guarantees you'll hear something but listen to nothing. And the point I've been trying to make by talking about Genesis and the language of nothingness is that we are actually called to listen to nothing, but the nothing that is the nothing of nothingness. For that uh, confusing phrasing, you can blame Patrick Dirdal, uh, who that's a direct quote from him in my conversation with him about this. Uh, we are called to listen to the nothing that is the nothing of nothingness. This nothingness out of which God spoke creation and still speaks. The nothingness that is a possibility of new life. You can't have Easter without Good Friday, right? The saying goes. And that's very true on the ordering of days. But we're not saying here something as meaningless as uh, March 25th comes before March 27th. That's a really dumb thing to say. Uh, 
we are, what we're saying is that you can't have resurrection without death. And the question of death is not real unless it comes out of nothing. This is nothingness beyond time. It's nothingness that holds within itself somehow while being nothing, holding possibility. A nothingness that comes from what may be but has not been yet. A nothingness that demands to become. And in that demanding, it listens. Out of the depths of that nothingness of death, of empire, of crucifixion, of murder and hate and fear, out of the pain of loss, the depression of horizons wiped away in an instant, God calls a name. So what the hell am I trying to say here with this, all this stuff about nothingness and hearing names, right? It sounds a little out there, I think. Um, so I'm going to try to bring it down as I, as I finish. First of all, I think undoubtedly, unavoidably, there is something undeniably uh, mystical, if I may use that word, about this idea of hearing your name, right? I'm going to read a quote from Augustine. St. Augustine, you called and shouted and burst my deafness. You flashed, shone, and scattered my blindness. You breathed odors, and I drew in breath and panted for you. I tasted and hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. He wrote that in Confessions. Like a whisper in the caverns of our soul, echoing with the pulse of God's love, from which we are born, we listen in our moments of silence, of meditation, of prayer, and we hear a still, small voice. Now, some of you hear that, and you're like, yes, I feel that. And some of you are like, that makes no sense. <laughs> it's just nonsense. Okay, fine. I think that's true. For some, it makes sense. And for me, just in my own life, sometimes it makes sense, and sometimes it makes no sense. Right? So there's that side, the, the mystical side. But the other side is very everyday. It's very physical and tangible and real um, and involves the hope and love that we offer one another in recognizing each other in the most basic and yet most intimate way which is to say each other's names right? there's something extra special to me when I take communion um, when the person who offers it to me knows me or maybe they read a name tag or whatever it may be and they say Tim this is our body one of my favorite stories in the Bible is this story where this guy Jacob has his brother Esau, and they've been estranged for a while because they had some beef about food and birthrights and hairy arms or something. Um, and so they've, they've had this beef, they haven't seen each other for a while, and in, they meet up in the desert. And when Jacob sees Esau, he says to him, uh, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. There's perhaps a metaphorical way but to, to think about that, but nothing is truer for me when I see someone that I've missed or see someone I love, um, that seeing them is like seeing the face of God in a very literal way, particularly because I have no idea what God's face might look like. Neil, um, a couple weeks ago, he said something like, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Christianity is not about a doctrines or a set of beliefs. It's 
Um, it's about a way of life, a way of living amongst each other in community and the practices that that community participates in together. And more and more, you know, when he said that, I was like, huh, I'm not sure about that. But the more and more I thought about it, like, it does seem very true to me. And part of the practice of a community, I'm trying to say, is to get better and better at seeing each other, at saying each other's names, of hearing our names called by one another. To get better and better at speaking into nothingness that we all have in our lives. That when we are spoken to, when our names are called, that we hear it, that we look up and our eyes are opened and we see a Christ that is risen. Also two weeks ago, Neil uh, did this thing where he made us smell this foul smell. Uh, Some of you liked it. Uh, It was like, um, what was it called? Nard. Nard. Uh, we smelled the nard, and then we, spoke, we shared stories about uh, memories of smelling things um, and things that they evoked within us. And so I'm going to move on to a different sense today as I've talked a lot about hearing and listening, um, that we would in, in a moment sh- be able to share stories of having heard something, whether a sound or a song or someone's voice. Um, Maybe hearing something particularly in a given moment was important or hearing the same thing that we've heard all the time in a different context made us think differently about it. To kick it off, I'm going to share a story uh, of that sort. And so whenever I preach, I'm starting to think of myself as a method actor preacher. The agony I feel during the week I'm preaching is, is... it's incomparable to anything else I've ever experienced. I truly, in, I, I really try to like get, like get into what I'm gonna say. That I sort of frame a question and it consumes me. Um, so like weeks where I'm talking about something like hopelessness, it's not a good, it's not a good place to be. And so Friday was my mother's birthday. I never remember birthdays. My brother always texts me, yo, it's mom's birthday. I'm like, oh shit. So then I know I have to call. So I call her, happy birthday, mom, blah, blah. We don't really talk a lot or like, we don't have great conversations, so it's very basic. And I just said like, so are you doing anything interesting tonight? And she said, no, uh, it was Good Friday. So she was going to see a performance of Handel's Messiah at some church. And I was like, wow, that sounds really boring. Not real. But after we hung up, I was sitting on the couch, uh, reading something in preparation for this something really depressing, trying to get into the place of, of hopelessness, of nothingness, and you know, uh, feeling really emotional for a second because I, I was trying to get there and I was getting there. And so, and then the neighbor upstairs above me was playing EDM music. It was like boom, boom, boom. And I was like, oh my God, I hate myself. I hate this world. And so I, I was like, I need to turn something on, but something with that word. So I was like, I'm gonna listen to Handel's Messiah. So I put that on, and I remembered as I was listening to it that my mother had actually, she's a pretty good violin player. She was in an orchestra when I was younger and had played an orchestra that was doing a performance of Handel's Messiah. And I was around maybe like eight or nine at the time, and I remember very specifically going to that concert 
and sleeping through most of it, right? Because I'm eight and it's not interesting stuff for an eight-year-old. But I was hearing that, that music again and thinking about that experience and thinking about my mother and it being her birthday um, and hearing again uh, something I had heard through sleeping ears, you know, 23 years ago. The connectedness to her that I um, was very special. So I'm going to invite you guys to think about stories like that.